have a question for you today. Who are you? Who are you? Well, you might say, well, oh, I'm, I'm Fred Jones. I'm married to Sally. We've been married 20 years. We have three children, and I work in the oil and gas business. But that's not what I ask. Uh, who are you? Who are you? That's what I, that's what I want to know. I don't want to know what your name is or your family or, or where you work or where you went to school or, or, or about your children. I'm interested in those things, but that's not answering my question. Who are you? What I'm asking is, deep down at your core, who, who are you? Now, if I really want to know who you are, I'm going to have to get way down to that core and find out your core values. Your core values will tell me exactly who you are. Now, if someone asked the question, who is Clarksburg Baptist Church? What would you say? You'd say, well, uh, we're a downtown church. We're affiliated with American Baptist Churches USA. We're part of the West Virginia Baptist Convention. Well, well again, that, that's not the question. The question is, 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 who are you as a church? Well, just like is with the individual, if you really want to find out who you are, you, ha you have to get down to the core, down to your core values. And you might say, well, well, what are core values? Well, first I'm going to tell you what core values are not. Core values are not descriptions of our mission and ministry. Rather, core values form an unchanging and an unwavering foundation for our mission and for our vision. So... I think it's good for churches periodically to look at their core values. I think core values help us to refine our, our understanding of, of who we are. Uh, so that's what we're going to be doing the next few weeks. We're going to be looking at core values. One of the, one of the really neat things about core values, if, if I can paraphrase Lyle Schaller, is that the church's behavior, priorities, ministries don't stem from what its leaders write on paper, but from the core values of its members. In other words, I'm not going to stand here for the next several weeks and tell you what I think your core values should be. What we're going to be talking about are the core values that you, the church, told the leadership were your core values 15 years ago. Now, I asked some people this week, I said, can you name our core values? And I won't embarrass anybody. I mean, some some. Well, actually, one person was able to name them all, and I was extremely impressed. Uh, some people got some of them, and some people listed some values that were close to the ones. And then you had the other extreme where a couple of people said, we have core values? So, maybe it's time for us as a church to look at not what I think your core values should be, but what you have told us your core values are. Those deeply held beliefs that affect your attitude and your behavior. So today, what we're going to be looking at, the first one, is really the, the foundation of our foundational beliefs. And that's the idea that the Bible is our foundation. Now, when you build a house, you have to have a firm, strong foundation. Because if you don't have a good foundation, it doesn't matter how nice 
what you build on top of it looks, it's going to eventually fall down and crumble because it has no support. And by the same token, you wouldn't build a nice, big, strong foundation here and then go over to some other area and build the rest of the house. That wouldn't make sense either. It's all based on the foundation. Jesus gives it a very spiritual dimension in Matthew 7, when he contrasts the house that's built on sand and the house that's built on the, on the rock. And he uses it to illustrate the difference between people who listen to and build their lives on his word and, and, and those who don't. But the same is true in, in the life of the church and, and in our personal lives. I mean, if we are going to base everything, if we're going to base everything that we do on something, then we want to make sure that it's something solid. And at Clarksburg Baptist Church, we unapologetically build our lives and, and our work on that solid foundation of God's Word, the Bible. And if you're going to stake your eternity on something and encourage others to stake their eternity on something, then you want to make sure that something is the truth. And at Clarksburg Baptist Church, we stake our eternity on what we are convinced is the truth that's found in God's Word, the Bible. So today, we're going to be looking at the Bible. The Bible is our foundation. And I want to look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul, writing in verses 10 and 11, talks about his own persecution and suffering. But then, when he gets to verse 12, he says, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Christians in every age suffer different levels of persecution. No one who follows Christ or who seeks to follow Christ is immune from that. And Paul, though, is not telling Timothy this to, to scare him, and he's not trying to, to scare us with this idea of persecution. He's just telling the truth. But what he realizes here is that Timothy, just like the rest of us, is not immune from the temptation to stray and follow the imposters or to believe something that's not true. Because things come our way and they sound good and they sound nice and these people look nice and, and all this kind of stuff. But we're not to stray. What Paul wants for Timothy and, and what we want for ourselves is we want something that is a firm foundation on which we can stand. We want something that is a reliable guide to help us know truth from falsehood. And we want a proven and a consistent and a trustworthy standard for our living. So, in contrast to the imposters and the evildoers, here's what Paul says to Timothy in verse 14. He says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned... And have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Timothy had been thoroughly taught about the faith. Either through the process as he was growing up, through his family, or whether it was through people like Paul, who really taught him the truth. But it not only had been, he been taught the truth, but, but Paul says here that he had become convinced of the truth. In other words, he had become convinced of the truthfulness of what he had been taught. And you might say, well, how did he become convinced? I mean, how do we know that he wasn't just some gullible guy that would just believe anything? 
Well, there are many ways, but the one that's implied here is the integrity of those who did the teaching. What convinced him was the integrity of those who did the teaching. Because integrity or lack thereof will expose truth or falsehood. The integrity of the teacher will expose truth or falsehood. Timothy's teachers were people of integrity. And so Timothy believed what they taught. But in order to be taught, you also have to be open. Timothy had to be open to be convinced. Uh, Walter Martin, in fact, we're going to hear a few of Walter Martin's quotes today. But Walter Martin writes, No amount of argument or evidence conjured or amassed by the human mind can convince a skeptic that God has spoken until God has been permitted to speak to him. God does not force himself on us. He does not force his word on us. We have to be open to hearing it. If you want to put it this way, the latch to our hearts on the inside. We're the ones who have to be open to his word and to hearing his word and to be open to examining the evidence and being convinced of what we've been taught. But he goes on and he encourages Timothy not to waste his time with all of these false things that are floating around. Because he says to Timothy, he says, I want you to continue in the truth that you have learned. Last week, we talked about Jesus being the true vine. And, and he encouraged his disciples and us to stay connected to the vine. If we were going to bear fruit, we had to remain in the vine. The word that Jesus uses for remain or that term is the same term that, that Paul's talking about here when he says continue. He says that, that you need to continue in the truth. You need to remain in the truth. You need to remain in the truth that comes to us through Jesus Christ. And that's important for us as well. But then Paul gets to the foundation of it all. And he uses a rare term uh, in his reference to the, the Holy Scriptures. He uses a term that literally means the sacred writings. And in just a moment, we'll see what sets that uh, apart for us. But the point is, while there are some excellent devotional guides out there, in fact, if you have our, our app for your phone or your, or your tablet, there's a, a great devotional that's written there every day uh, by Rick Warren. Rick Warren's a regular guy, but... I mean, what he says is based on Scripture. But still, as good as that is, it's not sacred writing. And while churches have creeds and bylaws and statements of faith, and, and those are good things, and those can be solidly based on Scripture, but again, they're not on the same level as the Holy Scripture. And while society would like to define and redefine for us what is right and wrong and what is normal and what is not normal, still, societal majority does not trump the sacred writings that are in the Word of God. None of them even come close. None of them come close to the level of Scripture. And the Bible, for us, the Bible remains our sole authority. As a church and as individuals, it remains our sole authority for our faith and our practice. So, what happens? After he talks about the foundation of it all, and the fact that the Bible is the foundation of it all, he gives us reasons. 
He gives us reasons. Now, you can, you can say that, well, throughout Scripture, there are all sorts of different reasons that point to the truth of the Word of God and, and point to the idea of its importance and point to the idea that, that I should build on it. But here's what Paul says, and, and here's the three things that he points, at, points to today are the things that I want us to really look at as we look at the idea of the Bible as our foundation. And the first one is this. The Bible is our foundation because the scriptures lead us to salvation. Look again at verse 15. Verse 15 says, The holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That's the aim and the content of the sacred writings. The scriptures lead us to salvation. But it's important for us to note here that we are not saved by believing the Bible. We are saved by trusting in the Christ who is revealed in the Bible. I mean, Satan knows the Bible. But Satan doesn't enjoy the salvation that we have. It comes through faith in Christ. It comes through trust in Christ. It doesn't come just by reading the Bible. It doesn't come just by uh, believing things about it. It comes through trusting the Christ who is revealed in the Bible. And that's what the point Paul is making here is the Bible leads us to salvation. The relationship of the Bible to salvation is the Bible reveals that we are all sinners in need of salvation. The Bible reveals and explains that we are powerless to save ourselves. The Bible also reveals God's wonderful plan of salvation that Jesus Christ came and became sin for us and died for our sins. And the Bible also gives us the assurance of salvation that if we trust in him that we can have the assurance of our salvation. No other writings, no matter how inspirational you might think they are, can lead us to salvation through Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible does. Then in verse 16, he says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The second thing that Paul points out is the Bible is our foundation because the scriptures are God-breathed. They're God-breathed. We believe that the Bible is the word of God and that every word written in it is from God. And you might say, well, wait a minute. The the Bible isn't just one book. I mean, the, the Bible is actually 66 books that were written over a period of 5,000 years or so by a whole bunch of different people. So, so how in the world can, can you say that something that is put together like that can be God's word? Maybe some of it, but how in the world can you say all of it is? Well, there was something all these guys had in common and that all these books have in common. And, and one of them is, is, is the claim, well, none of them claim that these writings are of themselves. None of them claim to be their opinion. None of them claim to be their solution. And all of them, all of the writers, have an experience. An experience with a spiritual being that they call Lord. That's different from somebody writing a book and saying, this is my opinion on how you deal with this. None of them claim it for their own. 
And all of it comes from an experience with someone greater than them that they call Lord. Here's what Walter Martin says. The Bible is called the Word of God because the whole transcript is an inspired, faithful, and infallible record of what God intended us to know about himself, the cosmos in which we live, our spiritual allies and adversaries, and our fellow man. Here in 2 Timothy 3, he talks, Paul talks about scriptures being God-breathed. And, and God's breath or, or God breathing is, is an important part in Scripture. We, we find in Genesis that, that God breathed life into Adam. We find that Jesus breathed on his disciples to receive the Holy Spirit after his resurrection. Peter writes about prophecy that is not produced by the, the will of man, but that men spoke from God as they were carried along. By the Holy Spirit. And here, Timothy, uh, or Paul writes to Timothy about the idea that the Scripture is God breathed, that the Scripture is an extension of God Himself. And what a beautiful picture. What a beautiful picture of God breathing not just His words, but His very life into us through His Word. Isn't that a beautiful picture? It takes away from this, well, somebody dictated it and somebody wrote it down and we read it. No, it's God breathing his, his very self into us. That's a wonderful way for us to really look at God's word. But the third thing, because God is, is breathing his life into us through scripture, then the third thing is the Bible is our foundation because the scriptures are useful. It doesn't matter how pretty that sounds of God breathing, you know, Scripture. That doesn't matter unless there is a use for it. And God has a use for it. God gave it to us because he wanted us to use it. It wasn't something that God gave to us just so we could study. He didn't give us his word so we could use it just as a textbook. Now, Bible study is important. Learning from Scripture is important. Digging into Scripture is vitally important. But it has to be used. And that's what God intends for it. Not only is it God breathed, but it's profitable. It's useful depending on the translation you have. There's practical value. There's usefulness in God's word. Another quote from Walter Martin. He says, The Bible does not just illuminate our thinking, but reveals to our minds things which God knows and which we are incapable of learning apart from his communication with us. Paul tells us that God's communication with us is important in four areas, and he, he lists them here. But I want to break them down in a real simple way, just so we can, can know them and so maybe we can, can memorize them and apply them. He says it's useful in teaching. In teaching what is right. It's useful in teaching what is right. But he says it's also useful in rebuking, which is used for what is not right. So you've got teaching for what is right and rebuking for what is not right. Then he says correcting. Correcting is, is how to get right. If you're going down the road the wrong direction, you, you need 
some correction to turn around and go back the right way. So the Bible is used for correcting, how to get right. And then he says, training in righteousness, which is how to stay right. Think about it. Teaching what is right, what is not right, how to get right, how to stay right. Think about it. That's what you need. That's what we all need in our lives. And the Bible is useful in all of those areas. Everything you need to know about every aspect of your life is contained in Scripture. It's applicable to our lives. It's useful in our lives. It makes a difference in our lives. And if you don't believe me, fine. Look at the evidence. Because people who have read and studied Scripture, people who have believed what it says, and people who have applied it in their lives will tell you that it's nothing less than transformational. You hear stories of people who applied marriage principles to their crumbling marriage. And it was restored. They, they, they applied biblical principles related to how we relate to other people, to relationships. And guess what? Broken relationships have been mended and restored. People who've had trouble with finances have applied the financial principles of Scripture to their lives. And guess what? Their finances straightened out. Look at the evidence. Don't just believe what I tell you. Applying biblical principles to your life works. It does. So what we need to be about as a church is if we really believe that the Bible is our foundation, then we don't just need to be studying it and learning from it. We need to be applying it to our lives. That's what God wants. That's what God wants. So, here's what I want you to say with me. Say, the Bible is our foundation. One more time. The Bible is our foundation. All right. You want to get that in your head. But again, if we profess it, then we need to make it so. We need to make it so in our daily lives. We need to make it so in our relationships. We need to make it so in our, in our finances. Every, every aspect. We need to use it. We need to teach what is right. We need to rebuke what is not right. We need to correct in order to get right. And we need to train in order to stay right. I have people come and talk to me all the time who will say, man, we just can't get our, our finances straightened out. Just, just can't do it. it. We just can't do it. And I ask, have you applied biblical principles? Well, some. And say, no, no. It, the Bible lays out biblical principles. Apply them. They work. People come to me, man, my, my, my marriage is, is just about over. And I ask, have you, have you applied biblical principles to your life? Well, well, some. It doesn't work that way. You've you got to apply them. There, there's, a, there's a way there. There's a way there for everything. Apply them to your life. Don't sit around and wring your hands. God has given you what you need. It's useful. Use it. Otherwise... Maybe we should scratch the Bible as our foundation if we're not going to put it into practice. Let's pray.